setting fire to the stoner stereotype. Sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks for joining us on Burning Issues, where we burn away the cannabis myths with science. As many of you know, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, author of over 100 scientific publications related to drugs, including the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana. I'm on the advisory board at the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. I also pen the High Times column, Ask Dr. Mitch. Today, we'll chat about cannabis and the arts with author Catherine Hiller and get a feel for her great new book, Just Say Yes, Marijuana Memoir. We'll also have a new segment on gratitude and optimism in self-compassion in the art of activism. Catherine Hiller had the first chapter of her memoir published in none other than the New York Times. It grabbed everyone's attention because she's used cannabis for over 50 years. I fear that that amount of time actually overshadowed the book's other stellar qualities. Her prose is witty and sharp, and the book itself happens to focus, of course, on America's most controversial plant. The memoir is hardly her first step into crazy wild waters because some of her other fiction has addressed sexual issues that I got a huge kick out of. She's gotten a ton of coverage already, so I want to ask all the unasked questions. Catherine Hiller, thanks for joining us on Burning Issues. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Dr. Mitch. So I love the way you use time in the memoir, and I feel like that's getting kind of hip with some of Nick Flynn's work and people jumping around and stuff. And I was just curious if you could riff on that notion of time in, in the memoir. Well, most memoirs begin at the beginning of a life, and then they presuppose a certain arc. And in a drug memoir, the arc is supposed to be, well, everything got so terrible, and I ended up in the gutter, and then I saw the light, and my life got so much better, and now I am free, and I don't use drugs. I was very worried that if I started at the beginning of my life, readers would expect to see that same dreary trajectory. So I started at the end of, that is to say, in the present time, and I described a, vi a visit to my dealer. And, um, and then I would go backward in time so that every chapter starts a little bit earlier. And, um, and of course, I do not feel that marijuana has in any way harmed my life. It certainly hasn't led me to the streets. It's led me to a more joyful life experience. And I thought that this was best expressed if I went backward in time. Oh, it's super. And, I mean, that joy really comes through. And I feel like there's some interweaving, if you will, between sort of lessons from the plant and getting happiness and some of the happiness you portray. Does that sort of been your experience in writing and reading it? Um, I'm a little confused by the question. Sure. I mean, bottom line is it seems like uh, you celebrate happy events mm -hmm. with cannabis in the memoir, and then the happy events lead to more happiness. It's sort of the plant facilitates how the happiness goes, and then the happiness essentially leads to more events that lead to more cannabis use. I'm well, curious yes, in my case, that's true. But as we know, this is a, ver a drug which is very subjective. And so 
many people have tried it once or twice and feel anxious and say they don't want to do it again. And I always say, well, don't. You shouldn't. That's not working for you. But as it happens, it does work for me and for many, many people. And what I've learned since the book come out is how many secret smokers there are. And uh, certainly on a personal level, you know, I was greatly surprised and very pleased when a number of people who I never thought would be smokers, just as they thought I was not a smoker, you know, once I came out rather spectacularly with this article of the New York Times, um, then I learned that there were so many people who were also very happy using their cannabis and using it responsibly. And so I think that there's a really important distinction to be made between abuse of a drug and use of a drug. And for too long, we've been hearing about people who abuse drugs. But that's not the whole picture. There are lots of people who use a variety of drugs very successfully for their own lives. And, um, you know, it's certainly been my case with cannabis. Uh, it really comes through. I, I do note that, you know, we all kind of grew up with that any use is abuse message, and it's nice to see someone, uh, you know, really flourish with this kind of thing. So that's a, a, a nice push. Have you had a lot of pressure to try to work in marijuana reform or have people been you know, begging you to get out in the, in the legal world with this? Well, I wish they would. I mean, I've had lunch with the communications director at Drug Policy Alliance and, you know, told her I was happy to help the cause. And um, I did speak at the Boston Freedom Rally and I met some people from Normal. But um, no, far from getting a whole lot of pressure to do it, there seems to be n- no particular interest from the, you know, these bodies. Um, they're doing a great job and they're doing a good job without me, but I've been a little puzzled that I haven't been asked to speak or that my books haven't been readily available through those channels and so on. Um, however, I've been very encouraged by a couple of websites to, to write for them. And that's been terrific. Uh, I want to particularly single out Green Flower Media, which is doing such a wonderful job of presenting a positive approach to cannabis. And such interesting articles. You know, I just spoke to my editor just two weeks ago, and I said, you know, somebody, but not me, because I don't know enough, somebody should write about the phenomenon of why people have trouble getting high the first time. And immediately said, oh, that's excellent. I'm, I'm assigning it today. And today I just read about it. So that was a very quick turnaround. I'm glad I'm not the writer. And um, it was quite a fascinating article. So, yes, um, I, I'm here to say that, you know, I am, have become much more, I mean, I was not an advocate. I was a writer writing in solitude you know, for most of my life. And I've been writing fiction. And I also make a living as an editor, as a book editor. So it's been a life that's been very confined to my study. and to. But since the book has come out, my life has just opened up. And I'm in touch with readers. Readers are in touch with me. They contribute stories to my website, which is marijuanamemoir.com. And, um, and I get wonderful stories about the first time or their close encounters with the law. So I've become much more connected to the world. Uh, also, and it's been a worldwide phenomenon. I've heard from people, readers in Holland and Italy and France, so in England. So this has been really nice for me, and it's a complete surprise. It's wild to have that secret community out there finally reach you. So I think that's great, and we'll definitely remedy the idea that you know you're not getting more contact from normal. Uh, nothing to worry Thank about you. there. 
good. You mentioned, you know, and they played this up so much in the New York Times that there's 50 years of experience here. And I feel like our generation and older, basically, these are the folks that have the potential to benefit. You touch on that a little in the memoir. Is there anything you'd like to say about cannabis and aging? Well, you know, as a lifelong user, I don't see any particular change since I veered into my 60s. Um, what what I've become aware of this year or the nine months since my book has been published, you know, I'm a recreational user, Mitch. I use it to get high, and I, I'm, you know, not ashamed of that. But what is also what I've learned in the last nine months is the extraordinary medicinal benefits that this plant can offer. So, you know, to all those people who are suffering from such a panoply of diseases, anything from asthma to irritable bowel syndrome to epilepsy to the fact that this drug could actually help those people, it's just extraordinary to me and and really thrilling, actually. So I would say most people know that as you age, you know, you get more ailments, anything from arthritis to, you know, various things. So aging people, or let's just say baby boomers, should be really aware that not only are you going to get this incredibly pleasant effect, but it is probably helping your body. That's a delightful thought, and I'm hoping we'll gather more and more data on that as as folks uh, become more willing to, you know, basically get surveyed. Hey, as my cannabis radio brother Vivian McPeak would say, we got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. But we'll be right back with more burning issues and Catherine Hiller. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with more from Catherine Hiller, author of Just Say Yes, a Marijuana Memoir. So we were talking a little bit about cannabis and aging, and you emphasized uh, medicinal use, but that you're not really a medicinal user, and I think that's, you know, always delightful to hear. I feel like the notions of cannabis and creativity haven't been uh, addressed as much as I'd like, and you touch on this a little in the memoir, too. What are your thoughts about cannabis and the creative process? 
again, this is something that's different for everybody. I think a lot of writers, though, when they sit down and they face that screen, they can be a little nervous, you know? And like, what do I say? What do I put? I think that one thing that smoking pot before writing, as I do, and as I've done except for the years when I was pregnant, um, it gives you this warmth and confidence. I don't think it really changes my output at all because, you know, I've written straight, I've written stoned, and when I give them to people, you know, nobody can tell the difference. But it does make the process a lot better for me because it sort of silences those demons of doubt and it lets me, you know, go on and into a chapter and um, with this really cozy, enhanced feeling of confidence and power. And, of course, later on I'll read these pages, and some are good and some are not, just like any pages. But uh, it certainly is an aid to my process. It's neat. You make it sound like it silences those those inner critics, so to speak. I'm curious, do you feel like it's better for generation of words, or is it just as good for editing? You know, that's a very interesting question, and people would not think it would be good for editing. And actually, for the more complex aspects of editing, it's not great. I mean, if you realize if you have to move a chunk and you're looking for the chunk to put it nearby and you might have forgotten where it is, it may not be great at that point. But the point at which I think it's wonderful is after I've edited something and I have, let's say, a I don't know, a 5,000 word article that I've already edited, then just before sending it back to the client, what I'll do is get stoned. And at that point, what I notice is rhythmic changes, rhythmic problems or rhythmic ways to make things better, ways to make the sentence ring and hang better for me. So I can make these little adjustments like putting in a two-syllable word instead of a one-syllable word. That's the kind of thing I'm going to catch when I'm high. And being high is actually a benefit my clients get. They don't know they're getting it, but that I do that final read-through high, and it makes for a kind of smoothness and silkiness, I think, in the prose. It sounds like there's a sound and sense that comes through, and I, I really got to uh, tell you, it shows up a lot in the memoir. Well, you know, Mitch, I am so grateful that you're realizing this, that you're seeing the memoir not just as evidence that a person can, you know, consume regularly over the years and still lead a meaningful and very happy life, but that you see that the book, you know, ha- is well-written, and um, and that means a lot because... Oh. You know, I, I am a writer, first and foremost. I've written, you know, six novels and so on, and there are many more that have not been published. Those are just the ones that were. So, yes, I, I am dedicated to, to prose, and um, this is prose about marijuana, and so I hope it's as elegant as all of my prose. No, it really comes through. I do uh, get occasionally George Carlin would say he would use cannabis for sort of punch-up afterwards, and you've got <laughs> some wonderfully witty parts. Were those necessarily cannabis-inspired? Well, it depends on the part. I mean, let's just take an experience. I was at Woodstock, and I wrote about Woodstock, right? Well, that inspiration was from my life, and, you know, so that the part that cannabis would have affected would be as I say, just the generation of the words. I certainly hasn't led me to remembering Woodstock any differently, you know, with a cannabis focus and thinking of, okay, here was the time when, you know, people were 
I mean, the security guards were all tripping on mescaline. That was strange, right? And there I was in the middle of it. So it was fun to write about that. Oh, what a hoot. I notice uh, you've got blurbs from Updike on uh, some of your work, and he keeps emphasizing how brave, especially some of the sexual stories are. And folks have called this cannabis work really brave, and it seemed like you didn't quite see it that way. Well, you know, naturally, I'm thrilled when people, strangers, tell me, you know, I'm courageous, keep up the good work, and so on. And it's, of course, lovely to hear anything from how you're affecting the larger world. But I think that my sexual stories were brave. This is a, I wrote a book of short stories called Skin. And because John Updike's fiction often is very specific about sex, I was you know, sent him this book to give me some advanced praise and was thrilled when he did. So as for bravery about cannabis, however, it's brave on a social level. But Mitch, I live in a state where the maximum penalty for up to an ounce is a $100 citation. So I'm not really that brave, okay? If the people in my town, you know, if the police department found out and, and came over and inspected the house, yeah, they're going to find less than an ounce, and they'll write me a citation for $100, and it's pretty meaningless. I should emphasize to folks, though, that uh, in our state, if there's an intention to distribute, the predicament gets markedly more crazy. So even just handing somebody... Really? Can, really? Yeah, I did and, not know that. Oh, yeah, that can, that can get pretty hairy. So I think your bravery is present nonetheless, but it, it's good to know that live somewhere where possession is, is not a, as huge a deal as it, it is in some other places. Yes, and there's the other thing, Mitch, which is since I'm no longer seeking a job, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm a writer. I haven't had a, quote, real job in about eight years, and that was a job where I actually went into a place and so on <laughs> from nine to five. I did this for 11 years. I can't believe I really did, but I did. If I were in the job market, naturally this would you know, get in the way of getting many jobs. I'm sure it would. But since I live this freelance life, it doesn't take that much courage to announce myself. It's great that you're willing to do it. And were you worried about, you know, losing clients or not getting as much work? I was very worried about losing my best and favorite client, which I did lose. This was a pharmaceutical company and I had been writing for their internal website the most interesting articles, Mitch, such interesting articles about the latest biotech discoveries or anti-sense or various things throughout the years. And I'd done at least 40 of these for them. And then I told them what I was coming up with, <laughs> this book. And I thought if I you know, notified them in advance and we could get over this and so on. But this was just at a time they were deciding to give all their writers bylines. And I said, well, don't give me one, <laughs> please. Don't. But no, you know, they just felt, for whatever the reasons, they have a very conservative culture and so on. And also, obviously, cannabis is just terrible in terms of, you know, their profit system. Anyway, I uh, I did lose them, and I haven't written for them. And I'm I'm really sorry, because there's certain kinds of writing that extend your brain. And I think that when you're writing about something you don't know all that well, it definitely gives you this kind of challenge that will grow new neurons. So I was thinking this was like my second language, you know, the language of science, the language of biotech, and that 
through doing this, you know, I was increasing my brain power. So besides the very nice remuneration, I'm I'm really sorry about losing that aspect of my writing. Oh, that is a sad story. I uh, I bet you're great at explaining complicated things too, because it really comes through in the memoir. Oh, thank we- you. Yes, that was what that was what my deal was. That I would be getting these really complex things, and I would have to put it into language that both the head of global chemistry would approve of and that the administrative assistant would understand. And so, yes, that was part of my job there. That's perfect. Before we wrap up, is there a website that folks can go to to find your other work? Absolutely. First of all, you can get my work on Amazon. Just put in Just Say Yes. You could go to MarijuanaMemoir.com, and that's the place where you could see other people's memories and lay down your own. And to learn about me as an author... You can go to katherinehiller.net, and there you'll see my various books, including The Scandalous Skin, which has all these short stories, and from any of these, well, from the marijuana memoir anyway, you could, you could buy my book, and I have to say, it's only eight ninety five. so not only is it a, a fun read, but it certainly won't put you back much in terms of your finances. Well, thanks again for joining us on Burning Issues. A special thanks to Katherine Hiller. Thank you, Mitch. It's been delightful. We'll be right back with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Don't go away. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Here's the part of our show that encourages all our listeners to take good care of themselves and each other. Today's topics include gratitude and optimism. I'm sure you've heard a lot about these, 
And the research is really making the rounds. And what I want to do is separate the myths from the science. But the bottom line is time spent feeling grateful and optimistic. Well, that's time well spent. So first, the gratitude. We all know it's worth it to count those blessings. Most gratitude interventions involve listing three good things that happened to you in the day. And this can be just everyday sort of things. In fact, that's the point. You don't have to win the lottery. You get the chance to appreciate the sorts of things that can happen anytime. Then you explain why you think they'd happen. I'd elaborate on this, but it's probably best that I don't. The funny thing is, research suggests that telling people how to do their gratitude exercises actually makes them less likely to do them. So I'm not going to get into too much detail, but just make the gratitude exercise your own. I can imagine a sweet one where you might sit with your pals or your family and I'll just list a couple things for the day. Or you could write an email to yourself and put gratitude in the subject line. And then you could go over them all later if you felt like it. Picking different things each day is probably more helpful than cranking out the same three over and over again. But again, make it your own. I have a friend who puts these on her Facebook page and then other folks put theirs on there as well. And it's really fun having everyone chime in. Next, let's turn to the optimism. Optimism gets chided a lot by folks who misunderstand it, but it's really just a chance to look into the future and imagine things turning out well. It doesn't require being an unrealistic Pollyanna, and you don't have to pretend that bad things are good. A promising intervention focuses on best possible predictions. What you do is you write and think about what life would look like in the future if everything turned out really well, if everything turned out in the best possible way. A single session of writing about what things could look like if they turned out best actually helps people expect a better future. As little as a week of these best possible scenario imagery type things help make people more optimistic. So how does it work? In one study, folks focused on three different domains. They grabbed things that they were sort of their personal goals, their relationship goals, and goals in their profession. And then they grabbed a couple of statements from each and then envisioned those in a great future. I might say something like, in the future, I will be in excellent health and be very happy. In the future, I'll have warm relationships with my wife and closeness with my kids. Professionally, in the future, I'll be known for good work and have enough money to retire. Imagine taking one of those ideas and then focusing on it for five minutes for a day. Then the next day, pick another one and focus on it for five minutes. You get the idea. So this simple exercise actually improved subjective well-being. It increased optimism and it gave folks a better attitude in only a week. So, hey, we could do it too. Think about the best kinds of relationships you could have. What would be a best case scenario for your personal goals? What about for your profession? Write a whole bunch of these down and then pick your favorite two from each category. Then spend time imagining one. Just five minutes. Really focus on it. How would you feel and what would you think? And then make the images as big and as bright as you can. So you've really got an image of a best case outcome. The next day, pick, pick another one. Have a best-case scenario. Spend five minutes. Really imagine it bright and big. And in a week, you'll be surprised. You'll be more optimistic than ever before. If you think about it, the process kind of makes sense. 
if I spend time envisioning warm relationships or good health, I can't help but start thinking, hey, these things are possible. And then I end up putting a little effort in that direction. Just little decisions, but I go towards that best possible outcome. I get a feel for what I want. I start making little changes and I get closer and closer. I might even stop wasting time on tasks that don't really fit my vision for the future. So, I'm imagining you'll spread the word about this podcast. And I'll definitely envision everyone tuning in next week. Thanks for listening to Burning Issues. My continued gratitude for producer extraordinaire Brasco. And special thanks to our guest, Catherine Hiller, author of Just Say Yes, a marijuana memoir. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine at CannabisRadio.com. You can also find us on iTunes. Always remember, follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.